Welcome to Rigo's Business Review, where we bring you the latest in leadership, business, and tech. I'm your host, Carl Rigo. Join us each week as we share unexpected insights and underreported stories from the world of business to inform, uplift, and inspire, and make you think. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the podcast this week. This is episode six, Return of the Jedi, in which we discuss how to find your own Yoda, as in a mentor. But first, we begin with five tech trends to watch closely in 2021, courtesy of technology research company CB Insights. What are those five topics? They are organizational resilience, the quantum computing arms race, AI simulates empathy, the psychedelic renaissance, and the rise of exclusivity in social media. Let's dive right in with organizational resilience. This theme will become a more prominent corporate function as anxious companies steel themselves against unprecedented external disruptions. Persistent threats like extreme weather from climate change, cyber attacks, and things like major volcanic eruptions, and much more could turn the world upside down again. Companies shaken by the pandemic will start prioritizing resilience and turn to emerging tech as they look to onshore operations build robust supply chains and ready themselves for the next big crisis. So what I've seen is companies, there's been a move from just in time, which are very lean supply chains to just in case with redundant nodes in, in the networks, uh, having additional suppliers and building in flexibility and extra buffer stocks and reshoring of mission critical manufacturing and operations. CB Insights reports that the term resilience was mentioned four times as often on earnings calls last year, which was a record number of mentions for the term. Many companies are also turning to tech like artificial intelligence to gain a better understanding of their operations, predict demand fluctuations, and respond more quickly to changing circumstances. What else? Well, some food companies are thinking about supply chain resilience from a different angle by turning to alternative proteins after being bruised when COVID-19 upended livestock value chains. Compared to rearing animals, alternative protein supply chains can be shorter and established closer to densely populated cities where a lot of food is consumed. Another area where resilience is playing an important role is in energy production, which has been shifting toward lo locally installed renewables, which allow for less dependence on a national electricity grid, which could be prone to shocks. So a diversity of options with a splash of redundancy will be essential to riding out the worst storm, storms. Turning now to the second tech trend for 2021, the quantum computing arms race. Just as powerful quantum computers emerge, businesses will be forced to secure data faster than these computers can decrypt it. Quantum computers are becoming ex exponentially more powerful and more widely available. In 2019, Google became the first quantum computer maker to achieve quantum supremacy, which refers to running a calculation on a quantum computer dramatically faster than any conventional computer could ever manage. The tech giant said it solved the problem in just a few minutes. That would take a classical supercomputer 10,000 years to complete. Just over a year later, a team in China claimed to also have achieved quantum supremacy this time completing a computation in 200 seconds that would otherwise take about 2.5 billion years. So how much faster was that? 
about a trillion, about 100 trillion times faster. More broadly, equity deals to quantum computing startups set a new record of 37 rounds last year, an annual increase of 42% as the number of players in the space grows. And as we said, the industry's rising momentum is creating an arms race to secure data faster than quantum computers can decrypt it. This is because a powerful enough quantum computer could quickly overcome common internet encryption protocols, which could cause huge problems beyond anything we've ever seen before. Thankfully, new encryption methods to counter quantum computers are starting to emerge from the likes of IBM and Microsoft. These technologies are referred to collectively as post-quantum post cryptography. And these techniques tend to be built around particular computations that quantum computers aren't expected to have many advantages in performing. Also, the U.S.-based National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, is planning to recommend post-quantum cryptography standards next year. And the U.K. government's National Cybersecurity Center recently recommended that enterprises start planning for post-quantum cryptography. The good news is that many industry observers think that today's encryption will be good enough for a decade or more. However, others fear an unforeseen breakthrough could significantly cut into that pipeline. Turning now to our third trend, which is artificial intelligence simulates empathy. This year, CB Insights anticipates that businesses will prioritize building artificial intelligence technologies that can interpret and respond to human emotions as they look to connect with customers. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is now table stakes for companies, and the new race will be to imbue these algorithms with emotional data that differentiates and improves the customer experience. The idea is largely associated with American scholar and inventor Rosalind Picard and her early research on the topic, also known as affective computing or, quote, computing that relates to, arises from, or deliberately influences emotions. Today, that is an $87 billion global market and growing. Machines employing emotional artificial intelligence attempt to interpret human emotion from text, voice patterns, facial expressions, and other nonverbal cues, and in many cases, simulate those emotions in response. It is believed that in tapping into unspoken behaviors and reactions, businesses can leverage this emotional data to increase their gains and better cater to customers. For example, Accenture estimates that those, custom, those companies who responsibly use emotional data can see big gains. How big? Well, increases of 63% for revenue and over 100% for earnings. And for example, Affectiva reports that emotionally resonant ads improve sales results. But this goes way beyond advertising, thankfully. Indeed, companies use emotion AI to analyze elements of speech, like tone and vocal emphasis, to better match service agents and customers across industries. And in the healthcare space, researchers are using deep learning techniques to capture facial expressions of pain to help detect discomfort, an especially useful approach for patients who cannot verbally communicate. Others are leveraging AI emotion detection software to determine levels of joy or negative emotion of facial palsy patients pre and post surgery. Furthermore, computer vision is already being used in the automotive industry, where systems are being built to help identify driver fatigue, for example. 
Now some, now some automakers increase priority on assessing emotion from stress to anger could add another layer of insight to improve road safety and occupant comfort. Though as with any artificial intelligence, privacy and transparency concerns, as well as the risk of bias and ethical considerations, play a huge factor in its development. And we'll return to the topic of AI in the future. Now on to the fourth tech trend for 2021, which is the psychedelic renaissance. Technology will help usher plant medicines into the mainstream. These psychedelic medicines could this year be where medical cannabis was less than a decade ago, according to CB Insights. This renaissance is gaining momentum across the U.S. as regulators, investors, and the public increasingly embrace psychedelic medicines as a promising treatment tool for patients who haven't had success with traditional drugs. In November of last year, Washington, D.C. decriminalized psychedelics, while Oregon became the first U.S. state to legalize psilocybin, for use in supervised therapies. And clinical trials studying the health effects of psychedelics and hallucinogens are also picking up and setting a new record in 2020. In addition, the FDA has granted breakthrough therapy status to MDMA and psilocybin for the treatment of PTSD and treatment-resistant depression, respectively. Now this year, tech companies and pharma incumbents will take advantage of the shift in opinion and home in on bringing these medicines to market, again, according to CV Insights. These players face an uphill battle, however. Psychedelics do carry decades-old stigma and are generally classified as Schedule One or Two substances. Nevertheless, investors are flooding into the space. 2020 saw landmark venture capital funding go to private tech companies and psychedelic medicines, with the number of deals increasing fourfold year over year and equity funding up nearly 400% to reach $450 million. And in addition, the number of patents filed has been increasing in recent years. As these medicines go to market, technology will be critical in facilitating end-to-end -end care outside of supervised therapies. And lastly, on to trend number five, the rise of exclusivity. Exclusivity networks will become the future of social media. Exclusivity drove Facebook's early viral growth with access open only to students at certain elite colleges. Later, early experiments in creating VIP tech-enabled communities, such as Elo, flared and failed. Now, exclusivity seems to be making a comeback and is poised to be central to the next wave of social networks. Already we have seen Discord, chats, and other private venues flourish, and partially private apps like Clubhouse are gaining popularity. But this is just the beginning. So Clubhouse, for example, is invite-only. The app lets users chat in audio-based rooms that typically have a theme. Members can join book club discussions, debate politics, host rap battles, and much more. But Clubhouse's buzz has come from the members themselves. For example, you may have heard um, they recently hosted Elon Musk, who interviewed the CEO of Robinhood, the Robinhood trading app, in the midst of the controversy over the, the Wall Street bets situation, and other dinner parties on the site, on the platform, have drawn the likes of Oprah Winfrey, football players from the Dallas Cowboys, and CNN host Van Jones. In addition, other platforms like Local.com, founded by broadcaster Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report, uh, are, are platforms where people can create and host their own private member communities. The idea with this solution is that it helps protect free speech and it is not dependent on big tech and legacy media.
And one element is that even just a nominal membership fee can keep out bad actors and help prevent rude behavior. That's what people who are using the site have seen. And the local.com already includes the likes of former U.S. Congresswoman and presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard, Dober creator Scott Adams, and many others have their own communities on the platform. In 2021, watch for social networks building value through the quality and strength of their connections, as well as through the appeal of exclusivity, rather than the network effects of scale. The idea is less to get people to join and more to keep people out. Now, as more invite-only networks pop up, privacy and keeping content just between members could become a key differentiator. And these exclusive networks will need to figure out ways to effectively moderate potentially controversial content while still maintaining the aura of private members-only conversations. So stay tuned. That's it for the tech update this week. Coming back to the theme of our podcast, Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, a quantum computer was not Luke Skywalker's secret weapon in the original Star Wars trilogy. Instead, it was something far more human or humanoid was the support of a mentor who helped him tap into his own greatness and fulfill his potential. Have you ever wished you had a Yoda of your own to help guide you on your own personal and professional development journey? How would that help, and how can you go about choosing a mentor? That's the topic of our career advice segment we call the Executive Suite. This clip originally aired on the Workplace Radio Show on Resonance 104.4 FM in London. I'd like to thank my colleague NND, who is the producer of that program. And now, join us in the executive suite. Today we're going to talk about the power of mentors and how to choose one. Start by discussing what is a mentor. From my perspective, a mentor is someone who has been where you want to go and can help you along the way. It's also someone whose values are aligned with yours and has qualities that you'd like to emulate. Why does finding a mentor matter? In my experience, it can play a pivotal role in personal and professional development and career progression by providing benefits in three main areas, self-awareness, insights, and access to opportunities. So here are Carl's rules of the road for selecting a mentor. In addition to the points I made a moment ago, the mentor that you would choose, ideally, you would have rapport and chemistry with them. They would be, in my experience, two levels above you in the organization, ideally. So they would see farther and have access to a wider perspective and opportunities. And they ideally would not be in the same direct reporting line as you in the hierarchy. This is to help avoid potential conflicts of interest and encourage candor. And you ideally, you want someone who can both support and challenge you and will make time for that. So I, personal story, I was very fortunate to start my corporate career at Johnson & Johnson, the world's largest and most admired healthcare company. A key element of the company's success has been their focus on leadership, leadership development, and mentoring. In fact, 20 years ago when I joined, the CEO said, we're going to need more leaders. It is the single biggest constraint we face. And they made that uh, point of focus. And I certainly benefited from that focus on people development. At this point, I'd like to celebrate and recognize one of my first mentors, who is Marianne Plummer from Johnson & Johnson in New Jersey. She's now retired. When I met her, she was a director of the customer experience division that had led teams of hundreds of people, multi-million dollar budgets, and was very poised and an exceptional communicator and was very warm. And I had seen her speak in 
public internal events and things, but she was in a different department. So when I had a chance, I volunteered to work on a project that she was leading. And during the course of the project, there was a bit of conflict and I observed and admired how she handled it, which made me even more of a fan. So I approached her and asked if she could mentor me and she agreed. During the relationship, there was some element of reciprocity. However, I feel I gained much more than I, than I gave. So I just I really admired the way she embodied generosity, warmth, honesty, and credibility. And she made time to work with me and was patient and caring and authentic. As I said, really helped raise my level of self-awareness and, and enabled me to help see the world and the business through the eyes of a director. So in a very strategic, people-focused way that was also politically savvy. She also helped me with a number of insights about myself. So she observed my communication and I was a very direct communicator back then. And I still am, but sometimes it came out in an inelegant way. So if someone would ask me a question or if I didn't understand something, I may ask a direct question back. And sometimes it could come across as too direct or almost maybe confrontational. And she said, well, Carl, the next time that comes up, could you perhaps reply by saying, oh, could you tell me more about that? And it's, it's a very nice way to reach kind of the same outcome. And I still use that to this day. She also helped me in a number of other areas. That's one example. So she, like I said, helped with my self-awareness around my communication style, developmental areas and strengths. She also had my back. So she was an advocate for me at board level. Even when it wasn't always easy, I could be a bit outspoken. She also helped connect me with special project opportunities. She was the consigliere essentially of company president at the time and said, hey, Mel, I think Carl would be really good on this particular internal benchmarking project where we were comparing our company's performance to another division of Johnson & Johnson. She also was crucial in helping me land certain training opportunities and ultimately helped me to secure a new position within the organization. And all of that helped me to develop over the course of five or six years to eventually hold director level responsibility by the time I was ready to leave Johnson & Johnson. And when I was ready to do my MBA, she wrote a letter of recommendation for me, which encouraged me to come to Europe 13 years ago. So thank you so much, Mary Ann Plummer. Nowadays, I am a mentor myself, and I still have mentors, both senior to me and at peer level. And paying it forward, in my experience, is one of the most rewarding things. Mentors help us transform how we see ourselves and how we see the world. So quick question for all you business leaders out there. Who could you mentor in your organization? And how else could this be encouraged in your company? So lastly, there's a resource with some helpful tips on how to cultivate these kinds of business relationships. It's a book called Who's Got Your Back by best-selling author Keith Ferrazzi. And that's the view from the Executive Suite this week. Thank you for listening. That's all for this episode. Tune in next time for the latest insights and hidden gems from the world of business. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. For any feedback, suggestions, or questions you'd like us to cover, you can email us at krego at lxauk.com and on LinkedIn at K-A-R-L-R-E-G-O. Until next time, onwards and upwards. And thank you for listening. Rigo's Review, signing off.